Welcome to episode three of Hello Gen Z. I'm Abby Hamblin, here with my co-host, Christy Totten. Black lives matter. We've heard that statement everywhere this year, but the movement began seven years ago in 2013, when Black activists Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors, and Opal Tometi created a hashtag to honor Trayvon Martin. Today, Black Lives Matter is a global network of people demanding racial justice for Black lives. In 2020, we've seen protests across the United States and around the world, from France to Japan to Australia after the death of George Floyd. Floyd isn't the only name protesters are invoking. There's Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, and Ahmaud Arbery, among others. This year, we've seen a surge of anti-racist activism. Protests that started after Floyd's death continue, petitions are circulating, and people are demanding policy changes. Gen Z has stepped up, even leading some of these efforts. This generation isn't just using their phones for TikTok dances and YouTube videos. They're using those platforms to call out social inequities and educate their peers and their parents. You remember Faroza Aziz from episode one. Hi guys, so I'm gonna teach you guys how to get long lashes. So the first thing you need to do is grab your lash curler, curl your lashes, obviously. Then you're gonna put them down and use your phone that you're using right now to search up what's happening in China, how they're getting concentration camps, throwing innocent Muslims in there, separating their families from each other, kidnapping them. And on our last episode, we shared how a boom of ethnic and racial diversity is a defining characteristic for Gen Z. Because they're so racially diverse, equity is a huge issue for them. They want their politicians, their workplaces, their movies, and their textbooks to reflect who they are. It's easy for this generation to move between online spaces and the real world. Of course, social media has been used to plan protests before, but Gen Z seems to have perfected it. You may remember all those school walkouts in 2018 against gun violence and others in 2019 to raise awareness about climate change. And of course, there was the Donald Trump rally in Dallas in June, where young people protested by signing up for tickets and then not using them. Nikki Sanchez is a 19-year-old from San Diego who organized and participated in many of these youth protests. She was seen in news outlets facing down a line of police officers. But that moment didn't just happen. A lot of planning went into it. We used what we saw on social media, which was a lot of guides from the Hong Kong protests a lot of guides from protests that were happening nationwide. They were saying what tips, they were saying bring umbrellas if you don't want to get pepper sprayed, try to bring um, you know, protective gloves if you want to throw back the tear gas, try to wear goggles to protect your eyes, um, there's gas masks, here's a makeshift way to make gas masks, here's tear gas, um, uh, tear gas reliefs. So it was just, we took those tips and we, we put them in our flyers and we put, uh, we put out a statement too. We, we said what our purpose was, why, we're, why we were organizing, um, you know, to be prepared for anything. Of course, the coronavirus pandemic complicates these protests, which are taking place at a time when we're told we shouldn't gather in crowds to protect our health. But for some of these activists, this is life and death. Here's Jalen Kennedy, an 18-year-old from Lakeside, California. I'm immunocompromised, so I shouldn't be out protesting anyways. But I do it because it's my life. <laughs> like, regardless, if I die from the corona or if I die from being black, you know, I'd rather go out, like, die being black and fight for my cause than having to, like, sit and watch everyone from the inside and feel like I did nothing. Although these rallies are being organized online, they're not just social media stunts. Many of these protests are bringing people together. We've seen protests organized by high schoolers all across the country from California to Michigan to Maryland. 
Um, my name is Foyan. I am 16. I'm a rising senior at Seven Lakes, and my pronouns are she, her, and I identify with African-American, and I'm also a first generation. So my name is Erica. Um, I am a 17-year-old rising senior in Katy. My pronouns are she, her, and I am an immigrant from Venezuela. Hello, um, my name is Jeffrey. I am a rising senior at Seven Lakes as well. Um, my pronouns are he, him, they, and um, I am Asian-American. In Katy, Texas, three young people decided to organize a Black Lives Matter protest on their own. They put together a march in just three days using Google Docs, FaceTime, and social media. Um, especially like in the area we live in, in Katy, it's very conservative. So with that being said, there was kind of not a lot of activity going on. And, you know, Erica was actually one of like, the first people to, you know, jump on that and like contact Jeffrey and he was like we need to do something about that and from that he contacted me but it was um generally just because of the lack of activity going on in Katie and we kind of wanted to you know push everyone to you know even as a small kind of small compared to like New York or something city we are we can still like make a change and we still can um, enable like black voices to be amplified in our own community. I asked if they got any pushback. At first we did and so some of the comments we're like, oh, like, you know, I have my gun. Just very, like, it's like that almost like on the verge of threatening. They were like, oh, if this like turns violent, like I'm gonna like retaliate, like I'm gonna protect my home, just stuff like that. Um, which was like a little bit, a little bit worrisome at first. But actually, as we got closer to the protests, we saw less of those and more of, of yes, like favorable and agreeing comments, which was nicer. They held the protest at a nearby park where they marched, they had speeches featuring Black voices, and they thought that maybe one or 200 people might show up, but instead, over a thousand came. Politicians showed up, a medic drove from Austin to offer his services, and they had a ton of community donations of water, snacks, and masks. They even had volunteer sign language interpreters and a DJ. And a fun fact is that um, I already knew Jeffrey. Jeffrey and I have been like um, friends for a while now, but I've been, yeah, same with Erica and Jeffrey. They're both mutuals, but I've never met Erica before like the protest and I never saw her face or whatever. So it was really just us like coming together for a common thing. And like even at the protest, I didn't even know who she was because everyone was wearing masks and everything. And everybody looks like Erica from the back. So I was like, who, where is she? But that was I didn't know. Then. I didn't know Jeffrey either. Um, I like, we are, we were in martial arts Houston together. So like I saw him in a couple of Zooms and I knew he wasn't Katie. But like when I reached out to him, like I never met him nor Foyan in person. And when like I got to the protest, I couldn't find them. I was like, who are Jeff Foyan and Jeffrey? Like and before the where, cause I just, I, I could not recognize them. And it took a while. Like I kept like calling other people Foyan. When not protesting, Gen Z is creating community in person and online. And no, we're not just talking about posting black squares to Instagram. Many of them actually condemn performative activism, which is when you voice support online but do nothing in real life. Katie for Justice has expanded its original mission and is now raising money to help LGBTQ youth find housing. Nikki Sanchez and her friends are trying to start a nonprofit to keep their momentum going. And this isn't just happening in an echo chamber. They're not just preaching to the choir here. They're trying to reach their parents and reach older generations who might have different ideas about race and social justice. The Interpreter is a news website created by two USC students to bring their parents' generation reliable news in Vietnamese. 
They wanted to help people start real conversations with their parents about social justice, police brutality, and the history of racism in America. My name is um, Cookie Young. I'm 22 years old, so I guess on the like farther older end of Gen Z generation. So I'm sure like a lot of other young people, we were, you know, very affected by the death of George Floyd and kind of riled up along with other young people in the protest following. So I was back in Oklahoma for a few weeks to visit my parents when everything happened. Hearing my dad, you know, have very negative opinions toward the protesters using um, very unsavory languages to describe Black people in general. Um, it was very difficult for me and I felt that it is my duty to, you know, as an American, right, like as a Vietnamese American daughter, um, as well as um, an ally to speak up and correct my parents, right? Because I believe that activism begins in the home. But a lot of talk happened between me and my dad and it still didn't faze him. So I was super frustrated and, you know, did a, made a very um, in the moment decision to start like a very rudimentary website and just began translating articles. Um, little did I know that it would just, um, you know, catch on so quickly among the community. So they're doing the work, but whether their parents will come around is yet to be seen. So it's been difficult because I haven't really touched like base with my dad ever since our like last conversation about it because he did tell me explicitly to like table this issue um but i hope that he saw what i'm so sorry <laughs> i hope that he saw my work on facebook and i hope that he he definitely read um articles like featuring me in bbc vietnamese so i hope that he can see from my side um and you know have a gradual change of heart Jeffrey Jin, one of the organizers of the Katy, Texas protest, said he has to organize in secret because his family disapproves. What do your parents think of your activism? <laughs> Jeffrey, <laughs> Jeffrey, do that. Do it first, Jeffrey. So most of my activism is actually behind my parents' backs. Where to find out about it? The way I would get disowned in a heartbeat. Like I'm not kidding. Like I'm in a like a, a fashion. Like I'm in like a nonprofit organization that has raised over $10,000 for queer um, charities around the, in the nation, all behind my parents' backs. <laughs> um, and like, we, we publish clothes and like, I graphic design for the institute, stuff like that. And like, I, the thing is, I voice my opinion on these things with my parents, but it's so blatant that they don't support it. Um, so if I were to tell them myself that I've been doing these things, like I, if I was just like, straightforward with them, there's no way I would receive the support because they don't even support the issues and the movements that are you know, counteracting anti-racism, anti-homophobia, etc. Um, so why would they support me as a member of that movement? So yeah, it's it's really difficult. It's a lot of secrecy, but um, I'm, I'm, I think that I'm, you know, doing things that are good 
and I won't, you know, let my parents, I guess, be the hindrance to that, um, that process. ways, this push for a new era of racial justice is the biggest news story of Gen Z's life so far, or at least the first one they can get involved in. In 2020, the movement is getting wide support. Pew Research Center reports that two-thirds of adults say they support the movement. Here's a conversation we had with Jordan Ayub and Jordan Lee from the Blue Heart Foundation, a leadership organization for young men here in San Diego. We talked to them in late 2019, before the pandemic and George Floyd's death. You know, growing up, what are some news stories that stand out to you that you remember happening that you feel like are important? Because I guess one of the things about your generation, you guys don't really remember 9-11, right? Were you even alive? I was I was born like two months after. So what has stood out to you? Mm, Osama bin Laden getting killed. Um, Obama getting elected. Um, all the police brutality towards African Americans, especially that's that's um, during my lifetime, that's the biggest stories that come out. I think. Yeah. Well, especially coming from an African American family, we, you're, you're like since all those stories come out, you're coached as a kid to don't like you need to learn these rules. Like when you get pulled over, I, I'm drive we we drive now, so we need to know what to do when you get pulled over. You need to be say you need to represent yourself when you're out in public in the right way because they already have these views on African-American people. This leads us to something called the talk. It's common and sadly necessary in Black communities, and it has been for decades. It highlights the need for institutional change in America. Here's Jordan and Jordan again. They were the president and vice president of the Black Student Union at their high school, where they gave a version of the talk to their classmates. The talk is basically, um, it's come up since mm, the 1900s, like late 1900s, when African Americans were getting a lot of bias towards them while driving, and it just became known as DWB, driving while black. And it hasn't been going on since recently. The the recent stories that we've been hearing, like pre- police brutality and bias, racial bias towards African Americans and even Latinos, has been going on since the 1900s. Or excuse me, mostly like the 70s, 80s, 90s. And um, the talk has come up traditionally um, talking about what to do, the steps that you take when you get pulled over. So the talk that I've gotten, I've learned that when you get pulled over, um, you keep your hands on the steering wheel where the officer sees you, turn the car off, obviously, um, put the headlight on or the, the interior light so they can see clearly and comply with everything that the officer is saying because at the end of the day, your main objective is to make it home alive. These conversations aren't unique to Gen Z. You know, their parents and other generations before them have also had the talk. But that's why these issues are so important to Gen Z, because they don't want to see these patterns continue. A Pew Research survey that came out in June found that 45% of Black Americans say they've been unfairly stopped by police because of their race or ethnicity. 
19% of Hispanic Americans, 16% of Asian Americans, and 9% of white Americans said the same. Here's a conversation we had with Naira Williams, a 21-year-old Black activist who's been protesting here in San Diego. I was like, okay, I can kind of see where, like, most people around the neighborhood don't really go for cops. Like, like honestly, in the neighborhood that I'm in right now, you won't even see the cops unless someone missed their probation date or it's a huge situation where it's needed. Other than that, you, you have, like, some arguments here and there, but, like, if someone mentions, like, oh, do I need to call the cops? Nah, we good, we good. Then everyone just walks away. So it, it's, like, not a love-hate relationship, but it's more, like, more of an uncertainty. It's not just like with the blacks in the neighborhood, it's with a few Latinos, even with a couple of the white families in the neighborhood. And they were like, we're, we're, not, we're not too sure to call them because we, we don't know what's gonna happen. She went on to say this. So like, we're not trying to say this to, oh, down with the police and everything like, no. We're just saying that if you want to regain the trust in certain people, there's certain things that gotta be changed. And same thing with the people. If you want law enforcement to be there for you, there's certain stuff that you gotta do to meet them halfway. It's a it's a 50-50 chance on both ways. And so that brings us to the moment we're in, with some activists calling for the police to be defunded. The idea is that communities would be better off if some of the money in police budgets could be reallocated to other parts of the community. As an example of how the idea is beginning to take hold in some parts of the country, Minneapolis said it would eliminate its police force and replace it with the Department of Community Safety and Violence Prevention. Cities like Dallas and Milwaukee have already created successful programs to address mental health issues and keep 911 calls down. For Generation Z, not only are they joining other generations to push for police reform in their communities, but they're also turning toward their own schools. We recently saw the Los Angeles Board of Education cut its school police budget by 35% after weeks of protests from student activists and community groups. So these young people are asking for radical changes in the system, but I want to note they're also making radical changes within themselves. They talk a lot about unlearning and about acknowledging and changing their own biases. And some of them openly admitted that they've made mistakes. And the ones we talk to do it really gracefully. You know, they're not embarrassed or ashamed, and they actually seem excited and proud to be learning something new. And so much of the work Katie for Justice is doing is about educating people on anti-racism, performative activism, and all these other terms that essentially boil down to taking a hard look at yourself and changing your mind and actions. When we asked them what they were doing to grow personally, they didn't hesitate at all. I sort of tried to just like look into my own biases um, and like I've been taking like the the Harvard implicit bias tests and like sort of like analyzing how I um, may be prejudiced towards certain groups. And it's allowed me to because, OK, so I um, I sort of believe in the fact that you are not necessarily responsible for your first thought but you are responsible for your second and how you sort of react to that first thought um and for example uh if you okay so i've, I've sort of been having these conversations with um i guess family members like how you may have a racially prejudiced first thought um like sometimes you know a parent of mine might uh walk down the street and see a black man and you know, clutch her purse tightly. Um, 
and that is an example of you know implicit bias um and i've sort of been trying to help uh my family and you know my friends unlearn those things um whether it be through resources like online or little things like cinema or literature um, i think those are two very powerful tools um and i've just been like looking into myself and analyzing the things that i've been doing and how i can unlearn them because i am i like i'm 100 admitting the fact that i have biases towards certain groups um and that and i can't use i mean like i may have been raised a certain way but i cannot use that as an excuse for the way i um the way i act um, and i have to unlearn and i have to normalize the process of unlearning um and use the tools you know so readily available to me on the internet or through friends or um, things like that and and work through that process and better myself it's not clear what the future of policing will look like or how far this movement will go but what is clear is what young people want we'll leave you with their thoughts here's Jalen again well for me um systemic oppression is like the biggest change i hope to get out of it because without fixing the system in general, we're gonna have to keep protesting and we're gonna have to keep fighting and we're gonna have to keep being angry. If we don't fix the system, protests are gonna keep happening because something is still gonna be negative or affect minorities in a negative way. So um, I think we like, why are we defunding education systems when that's like the biggest thing that we should have funds for? Like, why is our police stations having more money than our education systems. It's just backwards. Our system is just backwards in general. Um, so I think we have to dismantle our negative and racist system that we do have for anything to get done. Do I think we can make small changes in, you know, different areas like police brutality and like changing certain police penal codes and all of those certain things for sure. But the overall big picture, our whole entire system needs to change. So they're organizing protests, they're starting nonprofits, and they're educating each other and the rest of us. And they have fully formed hopes for what the future will look like. Here's Katie for Justice again. So it definitely sounds like um, you all, and correct me if I'm wrong, but view this moment as an opportunity uh, to like sort of lift all boats or lift all communities of color. Is that right? Yes, but also in this given moment of time, yeah. and mm -hmm. it's we need to amplify black voices. Yes. That's just that's just what it is. I'm not saying that Jeffrey life, Jeffrey's life doesn't matter, Erica's life doesn't matter. But right now at this moment, we need to matter because we don't. Because we're being treated like we don't. So that's why I think people are angry. And we're not saying that oh I'm more important, she's more important, he's more important. But it's just saying this movement, like while like we're all for intersectionality and all the other movements and all that and stuff. But just right now, the Black Lives Matter movement should only be focusing on Black voices and what we can do to help them. That's just where it's at. But it's definitely not trying to alienate anyone, but it's we've been alienated for so long and we've never had a voice and every voice that we've had has been shut down and people surprisingly think oh after mlk like racism was ended like racism ended after like brown versus board of education like schools are no longer segregated which is like further from the truth so i think it's just everyone recognizing that and listening to us listening to black voices and realizing that we're sick of saying their names and we just want to have that not have life that you have but just be able to coexist like coexist not exist with you but coexist peacefully 
Hello Gen Z is part of the UT Podcast Network. If you're local to San Diego, we invite you to check out some of our other podcasts, including San Diego News Fix and Name Drop San Diego. If you like this episode of Hello Gen Z, please subscribe so you can follow along with our mini-series. We'll have more episodes coming out for you in the next few Thursdays. Matthew T. Hall is our project editor. Beto Alvarez is our creative director. We'd also like to thank Gloria Orbegozo and John Kelly for their creative contributions as well. This episode was reported, written, and produced by me, Christy Totten, and Abby Hamblin. Please share this podcast with a friend or rate us in your favorite app. Thanks. See you next time.